0: Richard Nelson for Encounters, a program of observations, experiences, and reflections on the world we live in. I am celebrating Thanksgiving in the most perfect way, in absolute keeping with what this holiday is about. I'm on an island off the coast of southeast Alaska on a gorgeous, gorgeous Thanksgiving day. I'm underneath a tree right now, but I'm gonna walk out here into the open so I can describe what's around me. It's snowing, it's snowing pretty heavily. There are intermittent squalls moving through about every half hour and one has just come through and as I look around looking out over the open ocean coast gentle surge rolling up against the black rocks and in the distance I see a couple of small islands with trees on the top of them and those islands are hazy gray through a veil of whirling snowflakes it's like being inside one of those little glass globes that you shake around and then there's all these snowflakes coming down there's a gull drifting by sailing by very low just right along the shore a little flock of crows about 10 crows and they've got themselves perched on top of a rock on the shore here it's like a little committee and what they're examining is the place where just a little while ago I took a deer and that's why I'm saying that this is the perfect way to celebrate Thanksgiving. Now is a bunch of ravens come in, five or six ravens come down, there are also ravens sitting around perched in the trees and the tall spruces that encircle this little cove along the beach and I can hear a bald eagle in the background intermittently hear the crows and the ravens gabbling and warbling and feeling really happy because They see what I'm up to here, and they know there's going to be some food for them. I'm on my way to a Thanksgiving dinner with friends, but I took a detour out to this island in hopes that maybe part of my contribution to the Thanksgiving dinner could be fresh venison. We'll be in a house on another island just off the coast of southeast Alaska near the town of Sitka just a few miles away I'm about 15 miles right now from Sitka that house that I'm going to will be in a little sheltered cove it also looks out over the North Pacific Ocean much like I'm doing right now we've been celebrating Thanksgiving in this same house on the same island for 11 years now a very close group of friends were like family to each other all of us are far from our original homes in other parts of the United States although we're all longtime Alaskans We generally stay out for a few days. We have multiple meals. We visit with each other. We hike. We kayak. We sometimes watch movies and we feast. We feast on foods that we get from the store and that we get locally like the venison that I'll be able to bring back. In so many ways it reminds me of the first Thanksgiving. Being in a tiny enclave of cabins surrounded by wild country. It brings to mind that time back there at the Plymouth Plantation in Massachusetts. Very little is known about the first Thanksgiving. There's only one description of it. It's in a letter that was written by a man named Edward Winslow that was dated December 11th 1621. The actual date of the Thanksgiving feast that Winslow described is unknown but I'm gonna read to you everything that Winslow wrote. As I actually start working on the deer that I have taken here the sun is now starting to peek out and glittering droplets falling from the trees mixed in with the lingering snowflakes that are still coming down the beach is just brilliant now looking out over the blue ocean and the white snow all over this beach and I've got this deer hanging here from a tree kind of in the shelter of the out of the snow and out of these drops that are falling down Now here's everything that Edward Winslow wrote about that first Thanksgiving. Our harvest being gotten in, our governor sent four men on fowling, that is bird hunting, so that we might after a special manner rejoice together after we had gathered the fruit of our labors. They four in one day killed as much fowl as, with a little help beside, served the company almost a week. At which time, amongst other recreations, we exercised our arms, I believe they must be doing some target shooting, many of the Indians coming amongst us, and amongst the rest their greatest king, Massasoit, with some ninety men, whom for three days we entertained and feasted. And they went out and killed five deer, which they brought into the plantation and bestowed on our governor and upon the captain and others. And that's why I'm feeling like this is such a perfect way to celebrate my favorite holiday, to be out here working on a deer and making my year's supply of venison, very much in keeping with that tradition from the first Thanksgiving. Winslow, as you noticed, made no mention of turkeys being served at that feast, but historians are almost certain that the fowl he mentioned would have included turkeys. This is because turkeys were abundant in early America and they were a staple food at the Plymouth plantation. That first Thanksgiving feast probably also included fish like cod and bass, also geese, ducks, probably passenger pigeons, a bird that was hunted to extinction about a century ago, venison, meat and corn stews and beer. Note that at that time wild foods like this deer I'm working on right here were considered a delicacy. Back in England, where these pilgrims had come from, only the aristocracy had access to hunting lands and commoners rarely got to eat game. So venison was an esteemed food in England during the 1600's. It was not available to commoners because the aristocracy reserved hunting for themselves. So common people could not get out there and hunt as we can do today in this country, and it was one of the freedoms that they felt very strongly about, those early settlers in America, the freedom to hunt. One solution uh, to their desire for venison, aside from poaching deer back in England, was to prepare what they called mock venison, or counterfeit venison, using beef or lamb. A book published in 1623 gives this recipe, here we go, if to your meersauce, sauce, that is beer and vinegar, you add a little turnsole, and therein steep beef or ram mutton you may also take the first for red deer venison and the latter for fallow deer venison and a very good judgment should not be able to say otherwise than that this is perfect venison both in taste, color, and in the manner of cutting. Well it's quite a reversal from modern America where many folks turn their noses up at wild food. Well Abraham Lincoln declared thanksgiving a national holiday in 1863 so that's more than 200 years after that first feast and of course we've been stuffing both turkeys and ourselves ever since right now the snow is completely stopped now and the sunshine is just pouring in under this tree i took this deer just behind the beach and Pulled it out here just to the edge of the beach so that I could have a more open perspective on the, on the scene out here. Also keep an eye out for any other deer that might happen along, just because I'd like to watch them if another deer did come along. And I have to say, even though it's very late in the season for the possibility of seeing a bear, I'm keeping my eyes open. And as always, I have my rifle leaned up against this very same tree that the deer is hanging from because yesterday and several days ago when I was walking around in the muskeg the boggy muskegs here on this same island not very far at all from where I am now I came across a set of very big bear tracks very late in the year just think it's almost Thanksgiving and there's a grizzly bear roaming around here when you've taken an animal and there's a lot of smells coming off you really want to keep an eye out and keep that rifle handy just in case of trouble I don't expect it; it's never happened to me so in any case the centerpiece at our communal dinner on the little island in the little cabin will be a beautiful turkey surrounded by pots and bowls and platters of other delicacies stuffing cranberries yams potatoes homemade cranberry bread and other kinds of homemade bread and rolls, salmonberry jam, broccoli and salad, stuff like that, plus apple cider and fruit juices and eggnog and wine and for dessert of course we'll have pumpkin pie. I made a couple of pumpkin pies myself last night and dropped them off at the cabin on my way out hunting this morning. There'll be possibly huckleberry cobbler, maybe something like chocolate pecan pie or strawberry pie all of that stuff seasoned with laughter and lively conversation and all the joys of friendship played out on this very special holiday. I think that's why I love Thanksgiving so much. It's a day that we celebrate our community, our friends, our family, our connections with each other and our connections with the land through the food that we eat. I think very often today people don't really they think about the food but they don't think about where it comes from but in the era of excess of hunting uncontrolled unregulated almost fanatical hunting that came about in America after those days of the pilgrims many species came very close to disappearing the white-tailed deer was in danger of extinction, elk, antelope Of course the bison we all know very very close to extinction a century ago or even half a century ago and the passenger pigeon that I mentioned that was hunted completely to extinction and the same thing happened to turkeys they disappeared from many places where they had existed I remember growing up in Wisconsin there were no turkeys there at all when I was growing up as a kid although there had been prolific turkeys in the pioneer days but the turkeys were reintroduced into Wisconsin I'm just Doing a little bit of heavy work on this deer right now and actually carrying the part of the deer that you don't eat out onto the beach. And I'll leave this here for the ravens as I always do. I usually say that. And I'm leaving it there for the ravens. In any case, um, the turkeys were reintroduced to places like Wisconsin in the mid 1970s. They rapidly spread and flourished. And they're now a very important game animal again in the Midwest and in the eastern United States too turkeys have become so abundant that they're even a pest in some of the farmlands I've seen flocks of 20 or 50 or 70 birds eating freshly sprouted crops both in Wisconsin and in New York State and that's very common today in the United States turkeys are all over but of course the domesticated turkey uh, is what we eat in most of our homes on Thanksgiving and this animal The domesticated turkey is a very different thing from the wild turkey. There's a fascinating piece of writing about it in a book called Enduring Seeds by Gary Nabhan. He writes that Meliagris gallopavo, that's the scientific name of it, this American turkey was probably first domesticated about 2,000 or 2,500 years ago in Mexico. Archaeological sites in Mexico contain large accumulations of turkey bones. In Tularosa Cave in New Mexico in the southern United States 2200 years ago is the first evidence of genetically altered turkeys. Apparently prehistoric people valued turkeys more highly for their feathers than for their meat. But of course the meat was also eaten and the Europeans who came into this country found this great bird and the turkey had in fact been taken back to Spain as early as sometime between 1498 and 1511 and the turkey had reached England by 1541. In 1607 domesticated turkeys were brought to the Jamestown Bay Colony from England so the domesticated altered genetically distinctive turkey was brought back to America having gone this circular route from America to Europe and then back again. According to Gary Nabhan's writing, most of the 124 million turkeys in the world today descended from a very few Mexican domesticated turkeys that were taken to Europe in the 15th century. They were selected for large bodies and heavy meat. Don't we just know it? Especially those huge pieces of breast meat and thigh meat on the domesticated turkey. Now other things have happened to the turkey, perhaps not as praiseworthy as those great pieces of meat that have been bred into them. The domesticated turkey's brain is 35 percent smaller than the wild turkey's brain. Commercial birds often have to be taught to eat and drink because they, they don't know enough to do it on their own. They become lost easily. Some are so heavy they can hardly walk. They lack enough sense to take shelter, so they may die from drowning or hypothermia during heavy rains and they're so overburdened with that huge breast meat that they can't mate. Many turkeys have to be artificially inseminated because they have been bred into this enormous size. Now indigenous people like the Pima Indians down in Mexico who continue to have domesticated turkeys regularly interbreed their tame turkeys with wild ones to avoid these kind of degenerative tendencies. I remember being in an Indian village in Mexico maybe 15 years ago where these great turkeys were strutting around with brilliant iridescent feathers. I mean they looked just like the wild turkey that we know about. Really an imposing creature. Not at all like these kind of pathetic uh, (laughs) white domesticated turkeys that we have nowadays. Even in villages in rural Alaska up in the north, and the Arctic, and in the interior, all around the coasts of Alaska, frozen domestic turkeys are eaten today. But of course Thanksgiving includes wild meat, wild fish, berries as the main fare in these village Thanksgivings. I'll never forget the first village Thanksgiving that I attended was in the village of Wainwright up on the Arctic slope back in 1964 what a wonderful experience that was of all the people bringing kettles and sometimes wash tubs filled with wild meat in that village um, polar bear walrus seal caribou of course being the main dish uh, beluga whale bowhead whale meat is brought to these village thanksgivings the whole community participates food is contributed by everyone and everyone comes and gets food and oftentimes take home lots of food because there's so much extra left over it's a mix as I mentioned of subsistence and store-bought foods there's bread there's cake there's fruit and all this food from the land and from the ocean I'll never forget an old man named Wesley Ecock in the village of Wainwright as a raven just goes soaring overhead two ravens calling back and forth an old man named Wesley Ecock long departed, singing a little ditty. He sang this way: "Ariga kuyavik, ariga kuyavik," meaning "Oh boy, Thanksgiving." Ariga means excellent, good, and kuyavik, Thanksgiving. Kuyavik comes from the word kuyanak, meaning thank you. There were prayers and speeches at those village thanksgivings that I attended in Wainwright and Hoosley and Chilkatcik and Elakaket and other places. Prayers and speeches about gratitude for food from the land and about the importance of sharing. There's a saying that Koyukon elders will sometimes mention, what you give away comes back to you. We still in fact have a community thanksgiving in towns like Sitka. Not surprisingly, that community thanksgiving to which everyone is invited is offered by the native people, the Tlingit people in the case of Sitka here on the coast of southeast Alaska. Well, oftentimes, some of us will go out hunting on Thanksgiving Day. Usually, I'm off with one or two of my friends today. They had other things to do, so I came out by myself. We have this venison and other wild foods to remind us what this holiday means, this time of special gratitude for the fertile, rich, beautiful land and waters that sustain us here in Alaska. I'm busy working on a deer. It's very warm when I put my hands up inside it. I'm just finishing the process of dressing out this deer and when I'm finished I'll carry it down to the beach. I've got a little kayak pulled up on the beach here and uh, I came in maybe two, three, four hours ago I guess and I've got my kayak on the beach and I will load this Deer into that little kayak, and I'll sort of stuff myself into the kayak next to it and uh, paddle it out to the boat, and then I'll come back to shore for other things that I can't carry all at the same time. my little backpack and rifle and stuff like that I'll paddle back in again oftentimes. Thanksgiving is a wild and stormy day here in southeast Alaska, and this Thanksgiving is such a dramatic and gorgeous exception to that. I'm gonna step out from underneath my tree where I'm working on the deer and have a look. Brilliant, brilliant. There's a snow squall off in the distance toward the south. That's the one that came rolling through here and immersed me in that swirling cloud of snowflakes and now it's off in the distance. It's very black. There's perfectly blue sky above me. I'm looking now along a stretch of maybe four miles of ocean coast It faces out onto the great open ocean. I can see the seam, the hard seam of water meeting sky out there toward the west and the south and a black wall of that snow squall. Absolutely impenetrable indigo wall of snow that has rolled off in the distance. Another raven flying by. Those guys are kinda wishing I'd stop messing around with this deer and get out of here so they could come in for their share of it. Well, I gotta sharpen my knife here. It's getting a little bit dull. Grab the whetstone. Black rocks, all coated with snow, stretching off along this coastline, and then the wall of trees, great tall spruce and hemlock trees. What a time to be out, and what a time to be harvesting your food for the year. One Thanksgiving, a couple of years ago, as I get back to work on my deer here, <laughs> one, <laughs> one Thanksgiving a couple of years ago I found myself regarding the sliced turkey on one platter and the tender venison on another. Two more different meats could scarcely be imagined. There was the light-colored and mild-tasting turkey from an industrialized animal raised in a fenced and roofed enclosure crammed together with thousands of its kind, all isolated from contact with the natural environment. Fearless and flightless birds, a mass of meat and blank white feathers with all the wildness and wariness bred out of them. And then I looked at the other platter, the dark, strong-flavored venison from an animal that lived free in the forest, just like this one did that I'm working on right now that luxuriated in summer warmth and suffered through the winter cold that worked every day to stay alive on whatever the season provided always alert testing the wind for scent constantly tense and ready to bound off this deer a creature that carried wildness as deep as the marrow in its bones and there were those two platters of food side by side and I looked at him and I thought about that old saying you are what you eat two centuries ago Benjamin Franklin proposed that we designate the wild turkey as America's national symbol, our national bird. And you know this might have been more appropriate than than Franklin could have imagined. It's interesting to think about that right now because I've stepped out again from the trees onto the beach and there's a bald eagle perched in the very, very top of a tall spruce tree over here and there's there's our national symbol that we chose rather than the wild turkey that Franklin wanted us to have as our national bird. Gary Nabhan writes, quote, the turkey has lost a significant amount of its wildness and hence its capacity to survive in anything but the most pampered and unnatural conditions. Now thinking about that, you are what you eat. I wonder if that Nabhan quote about the domestic turkey sounds just a little bit like us in our tamed and domesticated world in which we too have lost our wildness and our sense of connection with wildness. But here in Alaska, you know, we do live closer to the sort of wildness, to the abundance, to the natural beauty of the world that was shared by the pilgrims and the Native Americans back in 1621 when that first Thanksgiving feast took place and for this reason I feel especially Grateful on Thanksgiving, grateful as I now look out over this ocean. Another raven soars over very high, soars in circles, waiting for me to move along. Grateful for our lavish feast of food, especially food like this deer I'm working on that we've harvested ourselves from the land and the ocean. Food that connects us to our Alaskan home, that reminds us that we are all a part of this place and that we are all a part of the living earth. I'm so cognizant of that as I work on this deer and put aside the venison for my year's food supply. You know, I also feel grateful to live where I'm free to wander at will over the land, free to travel on the water in my skiff that's at anchor just off this little cove where I am today, free to wander through the forest. I'm grateful to live in a country where I have this freedom to come to the land, where I can hunt like everybody else. I feel also grateful to live in a country where I'm free to speak out on behalf of this land, where I take my livelihood as a subsistence hunter and fisher and gatherer, to express my hope that this wild and beautiful place that sustains me will remain as rich and diverse as ever. And that also is a way in which I can give something back to this place that is literally giving me my life, that gives me the food that my friends and I will have piled up on the table this afternoon at our Thanksgiving feast, that gives me the chance to come out and look at this beauty as a gull circles just low over the beach and drifts in and lights on one of the rocks here just above the little surge that's coming in from the ocean. And I'm grateful for my friends and for the community where we live and for everything that makes up Alaska as a gathering of people and nature together. We're all joined in celebration of these many gifts that we bring to each other. And I have to say, as old man Cock e. taught me, Arigaku Yavik, Arigaku Yavik. Yay, it's Thanksgiving and I'm so glad to be a part of it. For Encounters, I'm Richard Nelson. Thank you so much for listening. I'll see you next time. I'm gonna get finished with this deer and head back up the waters to that feast, and I hope you're doing the same. See you later. Encounters is a production of the Island Institute and KCAW in Sitka, Alaska. This program was written and narrated by Richard Nelson, edited and produced by Lisa Bush, special consulting from Ken Fate, theme music by Outback. Encounters is funded by the National Science Foundation and by the Kenneth Johnson Family Foundation, the North Pacific Research Board, and Robert Osborne, Jerry Tone, Martha Wyckoff, and Sue Cohn. For more information about the show and to hear podcasts, go to encountersnorth.org.